Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of, well, actually, the Athletic MMA's podcast about MMA and other stuff. As usual, this is your host, Fernanda Prates, and today I'm going to talk about, well, to be perfectly honest, I don't really know what we're talking about today. I know, I know, but in fairness, it's not like I ever pretended like I had any clue of what I was doing here. You're all well aware of what you were getting yourselves into, but... I can tell you what I sort of began talking about before my thoughts just kind of ran away from me. Maybe that'll help. It was Donald Cowboy Cerrone, more specifically the remarks on trans people that he made during a 2017 appearance on The Fighter and the Kid, and how disappointed a lot of people were when the clip started making the rounds again ahead of his UFC 246 meeting with Conor McGregor this Saturday. The whole thing just made me think a lot about good guy versus bad guy narratives and projections, and expectations, and emotional responses, and how to manage and reconcile all these things with the less-than-ideal realities of MMA, and of sports in general, and I guess of life, really. Just stick with me, and it will all make sense. I mean, maybe, hopefully, who knows, maybe it will be a complete waste of time. Just like my life and the fact that I've been spending an alarming portion of it in my sweatpants, eating peanut butter right out of the jar and watching Nashville for a second time. And that, my friends, is lesson number one in managing expectations. See, you've learned so much already. So, there has been a clip going around of Donald Cowboy Cerrone talking to Brandon Schaub about trans people. And yes, it sounds almost as bad as you might imagine. Although Schaub was somewhat surprisingly invested in trying to open Cowboy's mind. Granted, saying that people's wirings are masked up isn't the most sensitive way of putting it. In fact, it contributes to the outdated and harmful narrative that being trans is a mental illness. And the defense that Cerrone is quote-unquote, too American to understand the concept of trans people is also a weird way of getting there. But I do have to commend Shab a little bit for just not just letting it go or laughing it off. I think we know a lot of people who wouldn't have made the effort, even a lot of actual MMA journalists, just out of fear of pissing off their interviewee or just rubbing the fan base the wrong way. So I guess we'll start this one on a positive note, surprisingly, sort of. A little bit <laughs> acknowledging Shab's efforts here. As for Cowboy, though, yes. Unfortunately, he says things that aren't all that surprising. And I don't mean that because he's an MMA fighter or because he has had to apologize for saying some homophobic things in the past, but because unfortunately, even if you look at the replies to the twi- tweets with the clip, they're also what a lot of people seem to think as well. As far as we've come in terms of scientifically disproving prejudiced views, there's still a narrative that dismisses, doubts, and discounts the very existence of an entire group of people and a general unwillingness to step beyond this binary worldview, which I think is best summed up by Cowboy's feeling that, and I quote, I'm just saying, if you've got a dick, you're a dude. Well, let's start by making a few, you know, I hate the word, but here it comes, disclaimers. This clip is from 2017. So who knows, maybe Cowboy has expanded his worldviews and broadened his horizons since then. And also, I am a cis woman, so I can't speak from the experiences of trans people, and there's a limit to how equipped I am to have certain discussions. Having said that, yeah, 
As a person who lives in the world, I have heard plenty of people say similar things to what Cowboy said. Apparently, to some people, our entire existence can be reduced to our genitalia. I don't really know how Cowboy would react to hearing about the existence of intersex people, but that's a subject for another time. And the way Cowboy talks about it supports a narrative that is very prevalent and to me very baffling. That apparently people are just going out there deciding to be trans as if it's something that you just do for the sake of I don't even know exactly. Using the wrong bathrooms, annoying Ben Shapiro. I mean, why would anyone mold their entire existence? Or most importantly, risk their entire existence, considering how often prejudice against trans people turn violent around making other people mad or just getting attention. To me, that type of thinking is just really a sign of people going on autopilot. Because the minute you start really defying this narrow, heteronormative logic that we grow up on, you start realizing that it just doesn't make any sense. Trans and gender non-conforming people are a very marginalized group. They're the target of not only a lot of misunderstanding, but also a lot of hatred. So putting it in those terms, as if trans people are nothing but people who decided that they want to be identified as something else, as if it's a whim or a cry for attention. It is just not very rational or intelligent, period. But I won't go too far into trans issues here simply because, like I said, I don't feel like I am well-equipped to do so. And I might end up just doing more harm than good. What I can do is recommend an amazing YouTube channel called ContraPoints. It's made by a trans woman, Natalie Wynn. And it's not only about her own existence. There's a lot about politics and other progressive topics. And honestly, I can't even describe the channel. She's just a brilliant, brilliant mind. And through following her own transition and her own battles, whether it's with radicalized red pill trolls or with herself, I think I learned a lot. And I was able to empathize a lot more with the struggle that looks nothing like my own. Interestingly enough, uh, Natalie's latest video was about the pitfalls of cancel culture. She was actually quote unquote canceled by the internet recently. And honestly, I have no time to explain the whole thing here to you. But basically, it's just a good channel that I'm recommending. Watch it. Don't watch it. I'm not getting paid by Natalie or YouTube. If you don't have the time, just maybe a visit to the Planned Parenthood website can be helpful. Uh, They explain basic concepts and terminology or maybe just try listening to trans people. Reading them, watching them, paying real attention to what they had to say. Seeing people in their full humanity is, to me, again, as a cis, privileged person, the beginning of basically any type of positive impact in society. But back to the matter at hand. Um, fact is, Cowboy said some bad shit. He was transphobic. And yes, you don't have to be downright aggressive toward trans people to be considered transphobic. Just doubting the fact that they even exist kind of fits the bill. And it sucked to hear it. And though I don't think a lot of people were necessarily surprised, I mean, I unfortunately wasn't, I think there were those who were disappointed. Cowboy is a fan favorite. He's a guy who has this great relationship with his grandma, who has this super fun, beer-drinking, daredevil cowboy gimmick. His style is very fan-friendly, and he's just always there. He's always down. He's funny. He's just the right amount of crazy. Basically, he's a very easy guy to root for. And I think combining that with the fact that he's fighting someone who right now isn't easy to root for at all created these very ideal conditions for a sort of good guy versus bad guy narrative here. 
And, and these are great, right? Who doesn't love a simple, clean cut, no fuss, good versus evil type of narrative? They're digestible. They're practical. They make it easy to feel an emotional investment toward the situation. They're so common in movies and in TV shows and in literature. So why wouldn't they be effective in sports too, right? They're pretty much irresistible. But the unfortunate thing about these types of easy narratives is that they tend to not work when we apply them to actual humans and not characters created by humans. They tend to, as we have learned, disappoint. And this brings me to a question that I think a lot of us get and a lot of us grapple with in some capacity. How do you square your own personal beliefs with those of others whose moral compasses differ from yours? How do you manage your own expectations with the realities of people you either root for or, in my case, read and write about? How do you reconcile it all? I'll speak from my experience here, which might be different than a lot of yours. The diplomatic and proper answer that I give to people I don't really know or who I guess I need to impress is that I kind of don't have to reconcile. I'm not a fan. I don't root for people. I discover them, at least right now, right? So it should be easy for me to detach myself. In fact, it's kind of the job description to be impartial and impervious to these things. And in fairness to myself, I think I kind of am in that I'm usually not thinking about what a fighter's presidential candidate is when I'm writing a story. Or when I do, I like to think I do a good job at keeping things separate. I've developed a few tools over the years, and I have also matured enough professionally to sort of extricate myself from my subjects. It is, I think, possibly a little harder for me than it is to some other writers because my style is very personal and emotional and not at all, but do you like the matchup? But still, there is a distance that over the years, I think I've gotten better at navigating. Still, though, sometimes I am caught by surprise by my strong and negative emotions. Um, The 2018 elections here in Brazil were absolutely one of those times. And that's something else um, a lot of people ask me about. And I have had a tough time (laughs) discussing here because I often feel like I can't find the words, but I guess I'm just going to give it a shot today. As you know, uh, we elected President Jair Bolsonaro, and I'm not even going to tiptoe here. The man is just awful. Just awful. Homophobic, racist, sexist. His whole platform was built on violence and destruction, and the elections were tough on us, on families, on friendships. There was a lot of just very intense division and bridges that were permanently burned. And while some people might be like, oh God, you broke up friendships over politics, it obviously isn't as simple as that. A president is an image, right? You vote on a representation of something. And voting for what that man, and I legit cannot say his name or see his face on television without wanting to just pick up a crowbar and smash it. It meant either approving his vision or being indifferent to it. Both of which, to people who are as violently opposed to them as I am, are seriously harmful. There was more to it, of course. It was also a very specific moment in the country of lack of faith in the left-leaning party that was in power. A lot of just downright hatred toward that party. An imprisoned former president. Not everybody who voted for Bolsonaro is a violent bigot. 
That's what I'm saying. That's not what I'm implying. There, again, is a whole lot that goes into it. And I could send you some links if you like, but uh, it's we don't have enough time to discuss all of it today. And I guess all the context in the world doesn't change how painful it was to see that man get voted into office. And as you may know, a lot of Brazilian fighters, they didn't just vote for him, but they supported him openly on social media and in post-fight shoutouts. And I was working at MMA Junkie at the time, which meant I had to be online a lot. We reported on Twitter beefs and Instagram announcements, so I couldn't really get away from it. And it sucked. It sucked to see that message being spread. The elections were just gut-wrenching. I was sad all the time. A lot of us were. And we couldn't afford to be sad because a lot of us took it upon ourselves to do what we call turning votes. We had to swallow our anger and frustration and put on our argumentative hats and try to make people who we felt could be turned around come to us. And it was a tough and busy time. I was often talking to people via Facebook messages and Instagram DMs and performing my very worst nightmare, which is engaging with absolute strangers in my free time. And in my non-free time, in my work time, I was seeing all these messages of support and encouragement toward a person who I believe embodies everything that's mean and inhumane about people. It was awful. It broke my heart. And though I was very aware that this was not an MMA-specific problem, the whole country was divided. And I would have probably ended up disappointed and heartbroken uh, wherever I worked. But the sheer amount of support that he got in the MMA world made the experience very lonely and isolating. And it made me come very, very close to quitting MMA. Clearly, it did not. (laughs) I'm still here. And while some of it had to do with the fact that the elections ended and that the guy won and that the fact that he's done a total of zero positive things for the country has caused a lot of his supporters to go extremely quiet. I think it also had to do with some efforts that I had to make constantly and consciously to manage my own expectations toward others. One of them was to simply remember that I'm dealing with people here. I don't cover characters. These are human beings with entire human lives that I have nothing to do with and know nothing about. And they're going to have their own opinions and thoughts. And sometimes I'm going to hate their thoughts and their opinions. And I guess that's a point when a lot of people would add that, you know, we also have to respect these opinions. And that is not at all what I'm going to say. (laughs) I don't think we need to respect opinions that are, are hurtful toward others, for instance. I obviously have no issues calling them out. That's kind of what this podcast is about. I even called Cowboy out on Twitter. More specifically, I called out what he said. But I guess what I'm saying is that you can do that And still not think people are demons or monsters or just hopelessly bad. I believe in people that do bad things and I believe in addressing these bad things. I believe in holding people accountable for their actions and their choices, but not necessarily shunning them or canceling them altogether or just negating the rest of their existence. And I'm not saying it's an easy exercise for me or that I am actually right in feeling this way. As I've said numerous times, I am privileged and it is somewhat easy for me to come from a more understanding position when people spread toxic ideas, but it is something that I have been actively trying to do more of. It is something that I kind of felt like I had to do more of because not only did I find myself getting more and more bitter and isolated by the second, but because I've come to the conclusion that throwing people in these mental trash bins isn't that constructive. 
if you know what I mean. There are, of course, levels to this. Some people do some truly awful things and are entirely uninterested in redeeming themselves and just are bad, I guess. But some people come from a place of just ignorance. And I do think that shunning them or just rooting for them to get knocked the fuck out might just be a missed opportunity of teaching something, whether it is to them directly or even to those who might be outside watching and listening. Again, I'm coming at this with a different perspective of someone who has to deal with these things in a professional capacity. I know it is different for fans, but I guess the whole remembering people or people thing (laughs) can be helpful for anyone. It is incredibly tempting to fall into narratives and to create stories for people that don't usually correspond to their realities. It is incredibly tempting to project a bunch of our own shit into other people and to build them up into ideas when they're just not. You can't just assign them roles, unfortunately. You can't do that in real life with people you have actual relationships with, let alone with people you don't really know, right? Again, that's not saying you can't expect or want people to do better. And I'm certainly not saying you can't just downright stop being fans of people. You absolutely can. I'm just saying that, at least for me, reminding myself that there's quite a big gap between the reality of a person and my own projections of them has been quite a helpful exercise. Not just in my profession and in MMA or in my fandom in other things, but in my life, really. Of course, it isn't exactly a linear road, is it? I can speak again from my personal experience. I'll give a recent example with Jorge Masvidal. I'm not friends with him, by the way. I don't know him as a person, but I did project a whole lot of myself into his rise in the UFC. And I threw a whole lot of my own political views into the idea of this first generation Cuban American who basically made himself into one of the world's most sought after fighters, who called people out for being disrespectful toward women, and who veered way far off the squeaky clean all American image that the UFC had tried to shove down our throats with the likes of Sage Northcutt and Paige Van Zandt. Oh man, I was all the way in the Mazidal hype train. I was conducting it, choo-choo. But then when asked about Donald Trump, he disappointed me and I was bummed. Now, this is a person whose life history has nothing to do with my own, who went through his own personal struggles that I can even begin to relate to. And here I was getting upset because they didn't correspond to this image of them that I had voluntarily and arbitrarily created entirely in my own head. How fair is that? How rational is that even? At the same time, how does one entirely get rid of expectations? How do we emotionally detach ourselves when such a big part of even enjoying sports in the first place has to do with the emotional experience that comes with it? Is it so bad to hope that people with big platforms use them to promote inclusivity instead of supporting ideas or people that do just the opposite of that? How do we honor our own ideals and our own responsibilities, whether they're professional or personal, without projecting and without succumbing to the same lack of empathy that we fight so hard against? How, and here's that million dollar question again, do we reconcile? Unfortunately, this whole episode has been my fancy way of saying that I don't know. (laughs) Even as I write this, unsure whether I'm making any sense or whether I'm picking the right words or whether I'm just about to get myself canceled on Twitter. I just, I really don't know. And I know that's not very reassuring or useful and probably what you wanted to hear. But what I can tell you is that it's the truth. 
Hopefully, it starts a conversation. Hopefully, it resonated with at least some of you. And if it didn't, well, you can't fucking win every time, can you? <laughs> Maybe next week I'll get it right. Maybe I won't. There's only one way to find out. See, I've been putting some thought into this whole self-promotion thing. And I think hate listening might be a good avenue for this podcast. I mean, it worked out for me in Grey's Anatomy. So here's a thought. Even if you do dislike me, try subscribing. Maybe I'll be your Meredith Grey. But instead of saving lives and sleeping with really hot doctor dudes, I'll just be here every Tuesday talking about MMA and other stuff.